You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I was sitting in the audience of a large arena filled with thousands of believers from all over the world. We just got done singing worship to God and what I can only describe as something as close to heaven as, as I could possibly imagine because of all the different people from every nation and tribe gathered together singing to our one God in praise and honor and glory. It was a glorious moment. As we transitioned that moment and began to take our seats, the speaker began to make his way towards the stage, and all of a sudden, there at center stage was this diminutive, older, grandfatherly gentleman from India. I sat down and I got ready to take notes because, you know, we're all excited. We just worship just kind of like we, we did just now and everybody's excited. How am I going to be encouraged? How is God going to encourage us as a worldwide family of believers fulfilling his mission in the earth? I cannot remember what the message was about. I don't remember if there were points. I don't remember how well the, the Bible was exegeted. I don't remember any of that. I just remember a portion of this man's testimony that shook me to my core. Words that I still think are mind-boggling that I have never forgotten. I don't remember the circumstances surrounding the story that he was telling or the situation that he was in or what precipitated uh, the, the things he began to describe. All I know is he said that he had this faith in Jesus and, and he was sharing his faith and his faith in Christ had enraged the people in the town that he was living in and from. So much so that they began to pick up rocks and hurl them at this man. One of them finally landed a blow right on his head. And he fell to the ground, stunned, after he regained his senses, he stood back up and he said he noticed something warm running down his face. He realized it was his own blood. He was bleeding profusely out of the wound that had been made in his head by the rock that had hit him. And it was at that moment that he said something that I'll never forget. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12 through 19, we're finishing up our series this morning on the book of 1 Peter called Chosen Exiles, and the majority of what we've read and what we've talked about over the course of this series was looking at the Apostle Peter telling exiles in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey how to survive in a hostile environment, how to survive in a world that was hostile towards them as exiles, but then also hostile towards them as spiritual exiles or Christians, how to deal with opposition to the gospel. Now Peter is pivoting and he's turned his attention, as we said last week in these last two chapters, to speak to Christians on how they are to relate and live with one another righteously. That's the context. He's saying, this is how you're going to love one another. This is how you're going to live righteously within your relationships inside of the church, the body of Christ. 
So that's our context. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Lord, I pray that your word would transform us from the inside out, renew our minds, restore our souls, change our hearts, look more like you. I'm sure you've all heard somebody say, or maybe you've said this phrase before, nothing surprises me anymore. I mean, I've said that. The older I get, the more I say it. The more I say it about church and the more I say it about people in general. Nothing surprises me anymore. But I think there's some things that actually do surprise us. I mean, I agree that we're not really surprised when things happen to other people. But when things happen to us is when we get surprised, good or bad. Like, for example, somebody wins something. It was like, well, that doesn't surprise me. They won. They win everything. You win something. I can't believe it. I never win anything. That's a surprise. Or something bad happens to somebody. Well, I believe that. I mean, look at their life. They deserve that probably. Something bad happens to you. I can't believe this. Why is this happening to me? What about suffering? And specifically in this case, what Peter is writing about, who he's writing to, is he's saying suffering because because you're a believer in Christ. Suffering because of your belief in Christ. Again, for the most part, we are not surprised by suffering of others in other parts of the world. But when it happens to us as Christians in America, I think we bypass surprise and just go straight to incredulous. Like, why would we suffer? It's not surprising that others in the world would have to suffer for the sake of the gospel, but not us. The idea of suffering for Jesus has become more of a joke and a meme. Like, here we are suffering for Jesus. And we're in a situation that is like, you know, fun or vacation or whatever it is. And that's kind of our, well, here we are just suffering for Jesus. Or we equate minor inconveniences with hardship and trials. Like the line at Costco is too long. Or, or my streaming platforms keep raising their membership prices. Insufferable. Being a little bit facetious, but this is a hard text to teach because contextually there's a vast amount of difference between Peter's audience and us today. 
These exiles actually were living in some of the most difficult, hostile times, and they would not have been surprised at persecution that was coming to them because of the gospel. So you would say, well, then why is Peter saying, don't be surprised? Because apparently, in this case, it was actually more than their normal persecution that they were going through, so much so that it was a little bit shocking what they're having to deal with, and Peter's saying, listen, I know this is shocking, or it seems to be a little bit more than what you've dealt with, but don't be surprised. He's returning to a theme of the New Testament that we hear over and over again, whether it's the Apostle Paul or James or the Apostle Peter or Jesus himself. He's saying faith is tested in refining. The trial or or some translations say pain that they're going through right now literally means a burning. They're going through a burning like a forging of metals with fiery hot heat. And Peter's saying, if this kind of suffering comes to you because you're a Christian, don't be surprised. Well, I have to ask the question at that point, why? Why would we not be surprised? And I think there are a couple of reasons why Peter is saying, and why even today we shouldn't be surprised. Peter's saying, first of all, you should know better as a Christian, but also he's saying your surprise will affect how you respond. So don't be surprised. I know we've talked about videos before here in the past, the ones that, you know, my family likes and probably you like. You watch them when people get startled, you know, or somebody scares them or jumps out at them like my kids try to do to me at my house. And I've told you before that I keep telling them somebody's going to get punched, you know, because when you surprise people, you know, when you get surprised, you do things like... I mean, your body does, like some of the videos, some of the things that happen to people's bodies when they get surprised, I, I was like, how do they not break their arm? You know, they're just, they're startled and they're swinging or, or they're ducking or they're diving or they're crawling up into a fetal position. I don't know, right? It's, but you get surprised. And here's, this is what kind of, I believe Peter's saying what happens when you're surprised or startled is you react frantically. And when you're surprised, you lash out. And how does Peter know? That's because what? That's what he did. He was surprised because he wasn't praying. If you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember when Jesus said, hey, could y'all pray? Instead of praying, they were sleeping, so they weren't prepared. And instead, Peter gets surprised. And when he gets surprised, he cuts somebody's ear off. And now he's learned and he's saying there's a better response than being surprised by what God's doing. And that response is in verse 13. He's saying, don't react wildly. Don't fall on the ground in a fetal position. Don't lash out in surprise, but instead rejoice. This is the overarching command of the passages of Scripture that I just read. Inasmuch as you share in the sufferings of Christ, or to the degree that you share in Christ's sufferings, rejoice. Or be glad for the chance to suffer like Christ suffered. Be glad? Rejoice in suffering? I mean, I get don't be surprised, but rejoice, I mean, that that seems like a little sick. Actually, it's the exact opposite. It's actually a very emotionally healthy and spiritually mature way to respond in the middle of trials and trouble as we affirm our trust in the wisdom and the goodness of God in the very middle of something that we really don't want to go through. Yes, it's like this, yes, even in this God, I trust you. Yes. 
yes, God, even though I don't understand, even though I don't like it, even though this is painful, even though this is a burning, fiery ordeal, I trust your wisdom and your goodness. And I admit this is not a natural response. Like, I don't default to that response because it's a supernatural response. It's way more than the glass being half full. It's way more than, well, let's just find a silver lining in every cloud. No! This is a radical, abnormal, supernatural way to respond to suffering for the sake of the gospel. It is the way, as we've talked about chosen exiles, it's the way of aliens and exiles who are here living for the glory of God in a country that's not our own. Supernatural. I was going through this text this week. I had this question, and I wonder how many difficult and troubling things we go through in this life or we've gone through in this life that we have incorrectly assigned to the devil and tried to rebuke away. What if instead of rebuking, we're supposed to be rejoicing? And I'm going to go back to the prayer that Peter has talked about so often in this whole book because the only way you know the difference between what to rebuke and what to rejoice in is by praying and knowing the will of the Father. So this is why we spend time in prayer. Some of us have missed out on the refiner's fire of God because we've rebuked away God's burning work in our lives. Don't rebuke your refining. Rejoice in your refining. Because it's in those moments of burning that God is doing something powerful in our lives and deep in our hearts. And I think we know this intuitively as well. No one ever says, the deepest and most meaningful and satisfying joys of my life have come after times of exceeding ease and earthly content. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever gets a runner's high from walking from the couch to the bathroom. Charles Spurgeon said, those who dive into the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Our greatest joys come on the other side of our most difficult trials and troubles. And Peter's trying to let them know that. He's saying your most, most amazing things that God is doing in your life, your greatest joys are going to come on the other side of this. So don't rebuke it. Rejoice in it. If you're like me, the question is, yeah, how though? How do I rejoice in suffering? And the passage that we just read really helps us. And we can go back to verse 12, if you will, to see one way how. One way that we rejoice in our suffering is to not be surprised. It's just very, real simple. Guess who isn't surprised? God. So if God's not surprised, then what Peter is saying and what we need to know is we don't have to be surprised either. As a matter of fact, here's how I would say it. Suffering for the exile isn't a surprise it's a strategy. Suffering for you and I as exiles, we are spiritual exiles. This is not our home. This is not our destination. This isn't the end. We have a home that is in heaven that is a hope that we have. That's the hope of glory. So suffering for the exile isn't supposed to be a surprise. It's a strategy. Verse 12, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is pretty straightforward here. This is, it doesn't take a lot of interpretation. It's not a surprise. It isn't strange. It isn't abnormal. It's purposeful. And it's a strategy of a sovereign God for our testing. 
Verse 19 says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. What are we saying? We trust God that he is good, that he knows things that we do not, and whatever he is doing in our lives is for the purpose of purifying our hearts, purifying our lives. It is a strategy of sanctification. If this suffering is according to God's will, well, then here is the test that we're in, the test of whether or not our faith is real. This testing is proving whether your faith is pure gold or fool's gold. This test is proving and strengthening and refining true faith while consuming fake or performative faith. I'm going to tell you something right now. Fake or performative faith will not survive through suffering. James, in case we think Peter is just some kind of person that really likes to go through difficulty like pain all I, could, all I kept thinking about was clubber lang throughout this entire message you know what's your prediction clubber i predict pain rocky three go see it james 1 verse 2 consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds When James says to consider, basically here's what Peter's saying as well. He's saying to evaluate, to discern, to know what the way you look at trials, evaluate it and look at it in a different way. He's calling the believer to develop a new and improved attitude towards trials from God's perspective. James wants the believer to know and expect trials of various kinds in this Christian life. He's saying you should, be, you should be prepared. You shouldn't be caught off guard is what Peter's saying. Don't be surprised. When a trial comes upon you in this life, trials are part of the normative Christian experience. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will possibly, might, maybe, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So many times I hear things, and maybe I've thought these things, man, I am so blessed. I've just avoided trouble my whole life. I have no idea where your faith stands then. I have no idea how strong your faith is if you've never been through darkness and just seen a little bit of light to get to the other side. Stars shine the brightest And we've been called to shine as stars in the night in Philippians. Stars shine the brightest in the darkest of nights. See, typically a trial is not something that we rejoice about. And James nor Peter are suggesting that we pursue trials or we go after seeking and suffering. We don't pretend that trials are enjoyable. I'm not saying that. I don't enjoy them. Paul didn't go, man, I love being shipwrecked. I love being beat. I love being bit by snakes. I love being in prison. He never says that. He's not enjoying it. He's enduring it. Trials are difficult. Trials are painful. But they exist for a purpose. They're a part of God's strategy in producing something good and holy in us. It is for his purposes. See, knowing that there's a bigger picture of what I'm going through can help me consider the trials, evaluate the trials, and rejoice in them. See, the opposite of being surprised is what? To be in the know. So you could actually say it this way. Peter's saying, do not be surprised. Basically, he's saying, you should know. If you know God, and if you know your Savior, then you know this is coming. 
That's what he's saying. You should know this. Know God. Know his ways. Know and trust in his goodness. And a theology that is healthy about who God is helps us to put our faith and hope in a good God in the middle of bad stuff. God uses trials also to discipline us. That's what Hebrews says. God disciplines us for our good in order that we could share in his holiness. I don't know how many of you are walking here saying, well, I'm just about as holy as I'm going to get. And there are so many things just like I have to correct my own children in life to make them understand that this is how we respond or this is how we live or this is what we say and this is what we don't say. There are things in my life that I have to go through so God can correct me. Trials help purge our spiritual shortcomings and they produce holiness in our lives as believers when we don't quit. So that we can know and rejoice in God's strategy of suffering to produce something good. And his strategy of something to produce something beautiful and holy in our lives. We can also rejoice in our suffering because it's evidentiary of our sharing with Christ. This is how we can rejoice as well. Not just know and know that we shouldn't be surprised. But we can also know how to rejoice when we rejoice that we are one with our Savior. How do you rejoice in the middle of suffering? Rejoice in knowing that you are one your savior what do i mean verse 13 instead rejoice as you share in the sufferings of christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed you, you get to share something with jesus like this is mind-boggling when you share something with somebody else it's just like man we get to share this together this is so nice now i'm saying no i get to share something with the son of god think about that you share something with jesus as one author wrote about his own uh, martyrdom, if you will. Well, it wasn't his martyrdom because he was still living. But as he was going through some trials of his own, it was called a theology of martyrdom. He said, this union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. It means that I am not a lone fighter here. I'm an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It's not my suffering. I only had the honor to share his sufferings. Keep on rejoicing because your sufferings as a Christian are not just yours, but they're Christ's, and they give evidence of your oneness with him. Remember when Jesus prayed, make them one, and we just think that's a really cool prayer? How are we going to be one with Christ if we don't go through the same things that Christ went through? I'm not talking about paying the penalty of sin on the cross. He's done that once and for all. But Jesus said, listen, if they did this to me, just think what they'll do to you. We suffer because he suffered first. And when we endure through suffering in this life and all that it can throw at us, the same way that Jesus did, we display our faith in Christ that has indeed conquered the world. Or 2 Timothy says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. Which leads you to the second half of verse 13 in 1 Peter. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. What am I saying? What is Peter saying? You rejoice now so that you can also rejoice later. Isn't this exactly what Jesus did? He suffered for the joy set before him, he suffered and endured the cross, and then after his suffering, he was glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father. See, the rejoicing 
that we're going to experience in glory, that is the hope of glory, far surpasses the rejoicing that we go through in suffering. Rejoicing now prepares us for the inexpressible joy later that we will experience in God's presence. Verse 14 then gives us an interesting way of how we are to rejoice in suffering, and it's this. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, let's add that, okay? If you're insulted, okay, we've all been insulted, but it hasn't always been because of the name of Christ. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Here's the thing, I believe that we probably, at least in my lifetime, and maybe most of your lifetime, we're probably not going to be physically beaten or rocks thrown at us necessarily because of our profession of faith in Christ, maybe. But we will be insulted, we will be ridiculed, we will be reviled, and we will be mocked in any other shaming adjective that you can think of. That will happen. And what Peter is saying, when those things come your way because of your love for Christ, then the spirit of glory and of God's going to rest upon you. So rejoice in that. You may say, well, what in the world is the spirit of glory and of God? And my best answer is, you'll know it when it's resting on you. Kind of like grace. You say, well, I don't know if I have the grace for that. Well, of course you don't. You don't have any children yet. Or of course not. You're not in this situation yet. Of course not. You're not married yet. Or of course not. You haven't been through this yet. Well, well, and that's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, whether you're not going to have enough grace. My grace is sufficient for you. But don't worry about that. You don't get to store up grace. It comes when you need it. You don't get to store up, well, I don't know how I'd respond in that situation. I don't know what I'm going to do in that situation. If you are going to obey the Father and stand firm in what God has called you to do, then in that moment, you're going to rejoice because the spirit of glory and of God is going to rest upon you. In the middle of that suffering, in this life, for the sake of Christ, there'll be an accompanying grace upon your life because God will come and rest upon you. It may be peace, it may be strength, it may be perseverance, it may be all of the above and more. But if the spirit of glory and of God is resting upon us and it's going to come to us in the middle of suffering, then what Peter is saying, then there is reason to rejoice. You may never be imprisoned physically, you may never be beaten for your faith, but you will be insulted and ridiculed and mocked. So how are you going to respond? It's in that moment that we respond with grace and love and mercy and the spirit of God begins to rest on us. Can I challenge you, especially those of you who are going back to school, young people, sixth grade and up, college and up, can I challenge you that if you're ridiculed and reviled and mocked for who you believe in and what you stand for, then the Spirit of God can rest upon you and strengthen you to be a witness for Him in that moment. And listen, it's not just for students. When you go to your job and you say, man, I should stand up, but man, I can't, I can't imagine what they're going to say if I do. Who cares? If you're ridiculed, if you're insulted, if you're mocked. Verse 16, however, if you suffer as a Christian, here, don't be ashamed. That's what he's saying. Well, what if? Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of what Christ has done for you. Don't be ashamed of who you are because of that sacrifice. But praise God that you bear that name. Rejoicing in suffering glorifies God. Anybody can rejoice in prosperity. 
Anybody can rejoice in abundance and plenty and health. Everything looks small, and I feel really big on the mountain. But everything looks really big, and I feel really small in the valley. Except I have a God that's bigger than all of that. Glorifying God means that I'm showing by my actions and my attitudes that God is glorious to me, that he is valuable and that he is satisfying. And the greatest way to show that someone is valuable and satisfies your heart is to keep on rejoicing in them when all the other sources of your satisfaction are being stripped away. When you keep rejoicing in God in the midst of suffering, it shows that God, not all those other things, is the greatest source of your joy. So don't feel shame if you suffer as a Christian. Instead, be filled with joy and hope. That's how we become witnesses for Jesus in this life. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And then lastly, verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, that just gets me should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Rejoice. Here's what, here's what Peter's saying, and here's what I want to encourage you today. Rejoice in your suffering because you can safely commit your heart to your faithful creator. God is faithful. God is a covenant-keeping God. He will never fail. And so because of that, he is safe, he is secure, he's a sure foundation, and we can commit our hearts to our faithful creator. God is the one who gave you life. God is the one who sustains your life. God is the one who has given you breath today. He's called you out of darkness. He's given you a, a great calling to praise his name in the earth. He's called you son. He's called you daughter. He's given you a purpose. He's given you gifts so you can commit your life to a faithful creator. Why? Because he's faithful. So with all these amazing things that come with suffering, right? That's what we just kind of recounted. All the amazing things that God begins to do in our lives, spiritually, relationally, because of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Maybe we should just suffer on purpose. In a word, no. No. That's not what Peter's saying. That's not what we're to do. Peter tells us what to do in this closing verse. He says, last thing, continue to do good. Meaning, seek good, do good, love others as Christ loved you first for the glory of his name. Let's say it this way, we don't seek suffering, we seek to do good. That's what we're to pursue. Do good, love, be holy. Not suffering. Suffering is not to be sought. Doing good is to be sought. Suffering will come, but it's not the goal. Love is the goal. Suffering, listen, suffering is the price of love, but it's not the aim of love. Didn't Jesus prove this? Suffering was the price of his love for us. Wasn't the aim? So don't go, here, here's what Peter's saying, don't go looking for trouble. Don't seek to suffer. Or the reason he said that one verse, you're not going to, hey, listen, I'm not talking about murder and, and being a criminal and all that stuff, because some people are saying, well, hey, might as well suffer for that then if it's for God. No, no, that's not what he's saying. 
Don't seek to be persecuted. Seek to love at every cost and at any cost. And if the cost is persecution or suffering, then don't be surprised. Instead, rejoice. Do good and hope for a good reception for the good that you do in the name of Jesus. But if suffering comes because of it, you're blessed. Love is the main thing. Let's do it in every season and every situation, Peter says. You may be wondering if I'm ever going to finish the story I started this morning. The man, as I said, he said he reached up and he touched his head and realized that the blood that was running down his face was his own. Coming from the wound that the rock had inflicted on his head. And this is what he said. I realized it was my blood. I was so excited. I was overjoyed. And I said, thank you, God, that you've chosen me to share in the sufferings of my Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Just sat there, stunned. Now, that may not happen to any of you in your life. But I assure you, as I said a moment ago, there's some things that are going to happen even this week whether it's at school or whether it's at work, insulted, reviled, made fun of, mocked. And in love, not trying to get a rise, not trying to prove yourself right. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But in love, do good. And if suffering comes because of it, rejoice that you get to share in the sufferings of your Savior, Jesus going to sing in just a moment about a fire, this burning fire that God is doing in our lives is for our good, make us more like his son. And the more that he burns brighter in our lives, the brighter we burn for the glory of his name. Amen. Father, we just come to you right now and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I am praying for every person in this room and within the sound of my voice that we would be those that re would rejoice in the ability that you have given us to share in any suffering that we go through because of your name. And maybe right now you're trying to discern what it is that you're going, is this something I should rebuke or is this something I should rejoice in? And I maybe can't tell you exactly in every situation, I know I can't, but God can, he can help you whatever situation you find yourself in. So even that today, bringing that to the Lord, laying that at his feet, God, what is going on in this situation? What would you have me do? And you spend time in prayer and in the word and surrounded by those that maybe have been a little bit further in this faith journey than you, and you begin to listen for the voice of the Lord and see how he would have you respond. But I'm telling you that if you're going through something because of the fact that you bear the name of Christ and it's suffering, then I want to encourage you by God's grace to rejoice in it today. Rejoice in it today and find the strength and the spirit of God resting upon you maybe in a way that you've never sensed before. Holy Spirit, would you do that even now? Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not sure what's going to come up this week. None of us know what tomorrow holds, but we want to be, we want to be firm 
We want to be loving and we want to do good for the sake of the gospel, no matter what people say or what people do. Even now, maybe say, God, help me to stand firm in my faith. Help me be willing to follow in your footsteps, Jesus, for the glory of your name and for the good of others who don't yet know you. Lord, we want to burn brighter for your glory. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.